0: Welcome to the Let's Talk Government podcast, a podcast that is a partnership between the Department of Criminal Justice and the Department of Government at Minnesota State University, Mankato, located in Minnesota in the United States. I am your host, Dr. Pat Nelson, the chairperson of the Department of Criminal Justice. I want to thank you for joining us as we explore different topics related to government. Some may be surprising and some may not. So please enjoy. Welcome to episode 32 of the Let's Talk Government podcast, Scholars Serving Time Program. I'm joined by Dr. Vicki Hunter from the Department of Sociology at Minnesota State University, Mankato. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hunter, and you are the program director. Would you like to just kind of give us a brief overview of what Scholars Serving Time is?
1: Sure, Um, thanks for for asking me to, to, uh, be part of this um, yeah so the scholar serving time program is a uh, is relatively new just started in January of this year um, and it is uh, an aA degree program that MSU Mankato offers in three different prisons um, in Minnesota and that's fairbo Shakopee and Wasika uh, and uh, basically it's it you know, I think when people think AA degree, they tend to think, uh, you know, kind of, uh, kind of general community college, um, degree. Um, and this is actually somewhat of a special AA degree, meaning that, um, we really put a lot of emphasis on making sure that the courses that are offered are highly rigorous, um, and they are always face-to-face. Um, so there are no online classes. Um, and there's, uh, and, and we ask professors to really do their best to make the courses very dialogue um, heavy so that there's because uh, i have found that incarcerated students have a lot to say um, and and the great thing is that they do the readings um, and that's not to say that students on campus don't but i think most of us that teach on campus know that sometimes they don't uh, whereas with the you know the incarcerated students they do tend to do the readings and so they come to class with lots to say, lots of questions. So um, so yeah, it's, it, I guess you know you could say we kind of use more of the structure of the way honors courses are taught, not in the sense that students that come into the program are required to have kind of higher or advanced abilities prior to, but just really in the ways that the courses are taught with high expectations, lots of dialogue. So
0: that almost sounds like the dream class for a professor as someone that the really engaging dialogue. So do you have professors from MSU Mankato go to the
1: facilities to teach in person, or do you use like adjunct professors? Nope. Uh, we, uh, well, we actually have had an adjunct professor teach a class, but it was because she was deemed to be the best person in that department to teach the class. And and I think generally speaking, uh, you know, full-time faculty are the ones that tend to be, you know, the ones that teach, you know, that really get um, uh, a lot of experience with particular classes. So they tend to be the, you know, the better ones to teach them. But in this case, it was just a little different, but primarily, yes, we use full-time faculty, um, we do provide replacements, uh, for them, you know, when they teach in the program. Um, uh, so, um, you know, so, uh, departments are compensated for that, but <clears throat> yeah, we generally use full-time faculty and yes, they go to the facilities and have unbelievably amazing experiences. That's, you know, uh, people who have taught in the program, uh, faculty who have taught in the program without an exception, uh, have said that it was one of the most transformative teaching experiences they've had. One is because of the students. Like I said, uh, the students are just so motivated. Um, I think some of this could be explained by the fact that on average, they tend to be older. I'd say on average, they're probably 30 years old, but they can range anywhere from uh, 19 years old up to, uh, I don't know, there's a student in my class now who I think mentioned he's in his sixties. So, uh, you know, there's a wide range of ages, which, and, and also I think many of them have had, um, colorful experiences in their past <laughs> that help to provide, um, that helped to, for them to be able to get their heads around, I think, some of the concepts that we talk about in class, because they actually have experiences where they can say, ah, I, you know, I get that, where a lot of times they think traditional students, <clears throat> you know, maybe that's not, uh, maybe, you know, they haven't had the same breadth of experience, and and maybe some of the, I don't know, dynamic experiences. I hate, I don't want to say negative things about it, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. So,
0: so how does a student get into the program? Do you just take everybody or is there a process?
1: Um, No, you know, we're limited in how many we can take. Uh, So, uh, and we also want to, um, we want to, you know, uh, maintain the rigor and the integrity of the program. Uh, So, you know, we use, uh, in part, we use the regular university admissions process. So all of that, you know, the criteria will be the same for uh, students coming on campus uh, as it would for someone in the SST program. Uh, But in addition to that, we ask them to write entrance essays. We give them prompts uh, and they can pick one of the prompts to write their essay. And then the advisory board for the Scholar Serving Time program uh, reviews the essays and ranks them. And then we, uh, kind of select students in that way.
0: So just out of curiosity, do you have more applicants than you have space in the program right now?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, for sure. But we always make sure that like for those students who, um, uh, who maybe didn't make it in the first round, we always, you know, encourage them to apply the next round. Um, because, you know, sometimes uh, we, we do try to select students who are going to be there, you know, for at least a couple of semesters. In fact, the core group of students we have at each place are ones who are going to make it all the way through to get their degrees. Um, <clears throat> however, uh, you know, we do... know always try to uh we do let students know that you know they should try again um if they didn't get in the first time um and you know i i hope that encourages them to you know kind of revise their essays or write new essays that you know maybe are more compelling and so on
0: so um
1: So, do these
0: courses? So, say that somebody's in the program and they're they're able to get released, and they don't have their associate's degree completed. So, Mm -hmm. can they take these courses with them, or is it only specific to the program?
1: Oh no, these are these are course these course the courses that we're offering are the same courses that we're offering on campus. Uh, You know, uh, they're primarily general education requirements, so the 100 and 200 level classes, um, and yeah, they will transfer, definitely transfer to any, uh, min-state university or college, uh, for sure. Um, and likely to transfer to pretty much any, any college or university. In fact, I've had people, uh, be released already that were, it was unexpected because of COVID they've, uh, been, you know, releasing people under, uh, it's called the cares act. Um, Uh, which basically releases people that maybe have health conditions that make them vulnerable to, uh, you know, if they were to get COVID. So, um, so uh, in, in one of those cases already, I, I, you know, helped a person kind of fill out her FAFSA and um, and her admission uh, application before she left. And she is actually starting a BA at Minnesota State Mankato, one of our online uh, offerings, because she lives in Alabama, um, <clears throat> but she is going to be uh, starting in January in, a, in one of our BA programs. So, um, and that's, that's part of my role as the program director is to help facilitate those kinds of academic transitions. Well, that's great. So you don't just like, oh, oh, you're being released, figure it out on your own, you help yeah. them
0: with that transition, which can be yeah, scary, no matter sure. how old
1: you are. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. So,
0: so Dr. Hunter, I know that your research area kind of links into this program, we, You research about reentry experiences. And so how did this program come to be? I, I mean, what, where did the idea start? And what did it take to get it going?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I, you know, I've always been interested since I, um, even as a graduate student, before I uh, got my PhD, I've always been interested in women's experiences of getting out of prison, um, particularly experiences of mothers. um, And I think that stems from my own experience of incarceration very long ago, uh, more than 30 years ago. Um, uh, It wasn't a long time, but long enough that I understand, you know, uh, the, that position, you know, what it's like to be in that position. Uh, and someone, while I was incarcerated, uh, the education director, uh, encouraged me to, uh, go, uh, to apply to college. She thought I was really bright and evidently she was right. I I guess I am here. I am. (laughs) Yes, you are. Yes. (laughs) Um, but anyway, she encouraged me and I literally started, um, started college within two weeks of getting out of prison and stayed in college until I got my PhD, which was like 11 years. Wow. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Uh, so that was kind of, I guess what got me interested in the topic of both women's reentry, but also, um, just the impact of education, because for me getting a high, you know, getting a college education, um, Really just helped me to develop a very different picture of who I was and who I could be in the future. Um, So it would never have dawned on me prior to that to go to college. Um, I just, I guess I just never saw that as something that was within my reach. So, um, yeah, so my hope is really that this program has a similar impact maybe not PhD pathway because that's just not for everybody but I hope it has a similar similarly impactful um, uh, effect on you know students in the program men and women alike I hope that they I hope that it really transforms them and I think it could also have transformative uh, implications for their families and communities I know it has for my family um, and I guess my community since my community now is, this university in part.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and, and to be such a good role model, I mean, if their children see that they're working on their associate's degree, even while they're serving time, that can be inspirational for them to continue their education as well.
1: Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, I, you know, on the first day of classes, I, I bring in, because they're not allowed to have a lot of things, but I we have these, uh, at the university, we have these, um. Uh, cardboard, um, like they look like little flags, but they're just made out of cardboard that say have like the logo and the Minnesota State Mankato logo. And I brought those in and put them in their packets that they got on their first day of classes. And immediately they were like, can you give us more of these so we can send them home to our families? Like oh. I want my, I want my kids to see this, that I'm a college student. So it's just, Uh, you can just tell how much it means to them and and how much they believe it's going to mean to their family members. Sometimes it's their parents, sometimes kids, you know, partners. So, yeah. So
0: how, so if they got their associate's degree, or even just start working on the coursework, how could this help someone integrate back into the community and society when they're released? What do you see Um, the benefits being there?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think probably the ones that that are the most obvious have to do with employability. I mean, I think, you know, having a degree, we have lots of research that shows that having a college degree, um, or even having some college versus a high school degree, increases the likelihood that someone is going to be able to, you know, be gainfully employed. So there's that obvious thing. But I think to me, What is more, what, what has a more long-term effect is really just that, that it, that personal transformation that, um, you know, being able to like really internalize the, the notion that I can do hard things and succeed at them. Like I can do things that are really difficult, like statistics and, um, you know, certain understanding and applying theory, um, and I can, I can do those things that I maybe thought previously would not be something I could do. So I think that's super important. <clears throat> and when we talk about, um, when people talk about reentry experiences, I think oftentimes what they mean is a person getting out of prison, getting a job and supporting themselves, maybe supporting their families. Um, but to me, you know, for someone to be truly integrated into the c- community, um, experiences like higher education really help to support true integration because um, it gives them the tools, the vocabulary, um, the under, kind of the breadth of understanding of how the world works so that they can be in a meaningful way, be civically engaged like active participants, active citizens that participate in their communities so that they can get involved in um, activism or, um, you know, understanding who they want to vote for, like really understanding issues in a way that helps them, you know, to be able to participate in a meaningful way, not that's fulfilling for them. So, I'm going to kind of circle back to the program again. How did
0: you decide where you wanted to offer the programs? And were there any barriers um, to getting the program started in those three facilities?
1: Oh, my goodness. That is (laughs) such a big question. So, I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. And I'll try to keep it brief. But um, so, uh, back in 2015, I worked with a former dean. Her name was Kim Greer. uh, And she uh, she and I were both I- incredibly passionate about this and I won't go into the details of the different funding streams, but we applied and thought that we were going to have, be able to, you know, get these funding streams to start this program in 2015, in 2017, um, <clears throat> again in 2017, um, and then, uh, finally, recently we, we were able to, uh, uh, not we, I, cause she's actually moved on to California state now. Um, but, <clears throat> and, uh, so, so yeah, I, I guess when you ask, how did I decide which facilities I kind of didn't decide the funding streams did. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, like the federal government put out a solicitation for a program at Wasika, So I jumped on that and applied and, uh, um, and, and was able to get that. Um, but after, after, like I mentioned, some of the, um, some of the disappointments that we experienced earlier on, <clears throat> um, uh, I, I did, I did, uh, I heard back very quickly, actually from the federal government about the Wasika program. This was back in October, uh, and had to get that up and running literally within like two months. Wow. Yeah. To that find professors, so to teach and
0: Oh, just a second. Here we're gonna just pause for just a second. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we're back.
1: We just had a little technical (laughs) issue. So uh, you had two months to get the
0: professors and get the program lined up. Wow.
1: Yes. And that was that was a that was monumental lift, but it happened. And, And I think sometimes when you're so excited about having something you wanted, you know, you've wanted so badly. Um, it didn't feel like that heavy of a lift, but, but it was, um, well then, uh, within a few weeks of that program starting, I got a call from, uh, the Minnesota DOC asking if I would be willing,
0: to, oh, hold on.
1: Asking if I would be willing to, uh, start a program like that at Fairbow and Shakopee. And I said, absolutely <laughs> sign us up. Um, and so, yeah. So I wrote up that contract and yeah, get that approved too. So that's, there we are at three prisons. Yeah. <laughs> so did all three prisons start last January or was it
0: Wasika first and then the other two in the fall here?
1: Yep. Wasika started first and in, uh, in the spring semester, <clears throat> uh, Fairbow was supposed to, Fairbow and Shakopee were supposed to start in the fall, but we actually ended up offering two summer courses at Fairbow, hmm. So um, to kind of get them, started. So, yeah.
0: So I know that you had a prior relationship with Shakopee with a class that you and uh, the former dean, Kim, Kim Greer, created. I know it's a different class and not part of the uh-huh. program, but it's so interesting. Can we just talk about that class for a little Absolutely. bit about what it was?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, as the COVID restrictions uh, go away, hopefully, we hope they do at some mm-hmm. point. Um, we plan to actually offer that course as part of this um, program as part of the scholar serving time program but right now they're just not letting uh, they're not letting a lot of people in so we're lucky to be able to get our professors in to teach the classes so uh, but anyway uh, yeah so the this that's called that course was The title of the course was Identity Work in Women's Reentry. And it was a course that uh, used social psychological theories to um, help provide kind of framework for understanding the research on women's experiences of reentering communities from prison. So that was the title of the course. But probably what makes the course special is that it had a combined classroom of incarcerated students and students from. Uh, Minnesota State Mankato campus so we would bring 15 students from the campus to the prison each week during that semester and hold class at the prison together and it was just uh, it was an amazing experience it was amazing every every year that I taught it with with Kim of course and then eventually with Laura Harrison she and I taught it together too after Kim excuse me after Kim uh After Kim uh, left for a different position. Um, So, uh, but, you know, students, one of the things that the outside students used to say a lot was that they had no idea how much they had in common with incarcerated people. Um, And the incarcerated students, by the end of the semester, would say, we had no idea how much I how much they had a co- in common with just everyday college students, you know. And they had a vision of college students as being uh, kind of you know sheltered snobs who wore horn rimmed glasses, and you know it <laughs> they had these very kind of stereotypical visions of college students. And college students kind of had a sense of incarcerated people as being kind of scary. Um, and, uh, you know, dangerous. And uh, they both groups very quickly learned that, uh, you know, that they had their humanity in common. And in fact, many of them had a lot of other experiences in common. So well, that's such
0: good community building. I mean, we are more alike than we are different. And that's a good way to find that out.
1: Right, right. Yeah.
0: Well, I imagine your Scholars Serving Time program also does the same thing of making it so college professors or university professors are not so scary and that we can, you can have good dialogue there too, because I know we have, you and I both have experienced this where students come in and they think we're very different than we actually are and we're <laughs> actually just people too, so that must be very interesting for them.
1: Yes, yes, I definitely think that is the case uh, with them. They. Um, like I, I've said before, they are much more talkative uh, than students on campus tend to be. Like on campus, you know, you, you really don't, uh, it, you it's kind of like pulling teeth sometimes to get a real conversation going not in these classrooms they i mean the one thing i would say is they don't seem to be as intimidated by college professors uh in you know in the prison classrooms they're very respectful i don't mean it like that but they don't um they don't they they won't uh you know they don't hesitate to uh participate in the conversation they're excited to do that actually and to have the You know, to them, they see it as just a, you know, a college professor come, come there to, to teach them a class to them that just, you know, feels like a huge opportunity and they're excited to be in the classroom. So, well, this is such a wonderful program. How about if we kind of wrap up with what are your hopes for the future
0: of the program?
1: Oh, well, uh, I guess I will uh, be honest in saying that I really hope that we're able to establish a BA program at at least some of the facilities uh, that, that have the numbers to support it. I mean, I guess we have to think about sustainability too, but um, I'm, I'm sure uh, for certain, Faribault, I think, could support it. They have, and probably Wasika. I'm not sure about Shakopee. I would love to offer a program there. Mm-hmm. But whether or not, you know, they would have enough um, eligible <clears throat> people to support it would be uh, something we'd have to work through. But yeah, I just um, and, and I guess I, I look forward to a time when I can actually share more stories about students who have been through the program and, and the things they do with their education, whether that be kind of moving straight into some type of job or um, or, uh, you know, uh, moving on to more education and just doing wonderful things with their lives. So I look forward to that too, because, you know, just, you always want to have something that you can, uh, something tangible that you can kind of say like, see, this is, this is, this is what this program has contributed to. Yeah. Well, and
0: I'm sure in the near future, you're going to have somebody come to you and say what you did to the education director. Thank you, Dr. Hunter. You you helped change my life. I think that's just amazing.
1: I, I hope so. I hope that happens. I mean, yeah. for their sake, <laughs> although I would love the kudos, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you're right for them. It's a good thing. And, and that's kind of what we do. And I'm glad that you're able to do that there. So well, thank you for joining me. And when, you know, as things keep progressing, I will probably bring you back in to ask how things are going and what you see and some success stories, too. So
1: yes, that would be wonderful.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Government. If you have suggestions for future episode topics or other areas you'd like us to cover, please visit our website at link.mnsu.edu/letstalkgov to submit your ideas. Join us every Tuesday for a new episode and thank you for listening.